For those who are sick of hearing about Donald Trump's campaign for 2024's Republican nomination, today may be a welcome change for you. We are going to take a deeper dive into the last 48 hours of the Ron DeSantis candidacy for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination. Now, one of the things that will not please those who are sick of hearing about Trump is that DeSantis is widely emulating Trump so far in the early days of his campaign in a number of different ways, including even some of the insults that Trump uh, became famous for. So uh, Ron DeSantis spoke in Iowa yesterday, and there are a number of different disturbing and comical realities. First and foremost, we talked yesterday about how Ron DeSantis said he would very much consider pardoning Donald Trump if he were to become president. If you're running against Trump, you're not going to win by saying I'll pardon him because the people who want Trump will vote for Trump and the people who are disgusted by Trump aren't going to want to go with the guy that says I will pardon Trump who you want to get away from. You're not going to beat Trump by avoiding conflict and criticism the way that DeSantis has done to a degree in the pre campaign stages of the last few months. And you're certainly not going to defeat Trump by using the same insults that some people like, in which case they'd vote for Trump and some people don't like, in which case they're not going to vote for the guy copying the insults. And Ron DeSantis yesterday during this speech in Iowa going with the Biden is in the basement thing which is a Trump thing. This was Trump's line throughout the 2020 campaign. Our great American comeback starts by sending Joe Biden back to his basement in Delaware. OK, you're not going to win this way, Ron. I mean, this is if, if th there's a couple different issues here. First, he needs to defeat Trump before he gets a shot at Joe Biden. And so I. I you all know I don't get into this whole alpha beta way of discussing everything by the standards of these right wingers. It's not very alpha to go after the guy you're not even running against in order to avoid conflict with the guy who's actually up 30 points in the polls. Now, we're going to talk about polling a little bit later because since his announcement, DeSantis is actually up 15 percent in the polling. Now, let's remember. 15% and 15 percentage points are two different things. Before I get emails saying, David, what are you talking about? DeSantis is up 15% in the polls. We'll talk about that later. But this seems to be a bump and not a shift in the underlying dynamics of this campaign, which are that the majority of the Republican Party is fine with Trump. And those that aren't aren't looking for a guy with the same insults and the same hand movements, who's unwilling to actually take Trump on head on and instead is going to go after Joe Biden. All right, let's look at some more clips from this uh, speech. Here is DeSantis talking about the debt deal. And, you know, one of the really interesting things about American politics, where there's a history of state level officials vying for national office. Bill Clinton was the governor of Arkansas and then ran for president. What Bill Clinton had that DeSantis very much does not have is that even though Bill Clinton was this sort of folksy southern state governor, when his campaign for president launched 
and he was talking about foreign policy and debt and deficit, et cetera. He didn't seem completely in uh, over in over his head. You're going to hear Ron DeSantis talk about debt and you will see that this state elected official seems completely out of his element and completely in over his head when discussing the topics that are relevant to the national political scene. We now see Washington has now cooked up their latest quote debt deal. And I can tell you this, our nation was careening towards bankruptcy before the debt deal and it will still be careening towards bankruptcy after this debt deal. This is greenlighting $4 trillion in new debt in less than two years. It took us almost 200 years to get to $4 trillion in debt in the first place. Now, remember, when we're talking about the debt ceiling and the debt limit and all of this stuff, aside from the fact that most of these elected officials don't even have the most basic understanding of macroeconomics. Like, put that aside for a second. The debt limit relates to paying obligations that have already been authorized. It is not actually about new spending. When these Republicans show up and say we're to new spending, new spending, new spending, all of this spending has already been agreed upon. And it has been agreed upon by our elected officials in the House and Senate. You might say, well, I'm a Republican. And when this stuff was agreed upon, we didn't have the House or Senate. Or, OK, but this is the process we have. And this is all spending that has already been authorized. Now we're talking about meeting our existing obligations. It locks in inflated covid level uh, uh, era levels of spending. And it keeps 98% of the 87,000 new IRS agents that Joe Biden instituted. This is not going to solve our nation's fiscal problems. I can so again, now we are just quite literally the to, to Trump lines. These are now I know you're trying to appeal to Republicans and some of the stuff Trump does appeals to Republicans. And so you're going to have to do some of the same stuff. But at some point, how are you going to this is Trump's lines delivered in a really just off putting way. Right. I mean, we're just it's going to be dead and it was bankruptcy. And I'll tell. So it's the Trump lines delivered in a whinier voice. In Florida, we run budget surpluses. We have a one point two trillion dollar GDP in Florida. We'd be the 13th largest economy in the world if we were a separate country. And yet with one point two trillion economy, our state debt is only 17 billion dollars. All right. So the crowd not super engaged, as you can see, and DeSantis offering nothing that we might qualify as inspiring. Then he went completely off the rails in delusions of grandeur, saying he believes we can bring George Washington back. And this is when I mean, listen, there is some narcissism probably required to even think, hey, I should run for president. Maybe people will vote for me. But this is really too much. Bureaucracy is so entrenched that I think we can bring George Washington back. Kenya. And I don't think he could fix it in one single four year term. We must. But DeSantis can do it in two terms. That's the great news. Restore sanity to our nation. We can't have every major institution in our country going on ideological joy rides. <laughs> we have to be guided by reality, by facts and by our enduring principles. We in the state of Florida held the line when freedom hung in the balance.
Yeah. So there is nothing I am seeing here that makes me think this is electric in a way that it's going to put Trump out with Republican voters. The biggest argument that DeSantis is making is Florida good. I make America like Florida. I am going to argue next that that would be a disaster. All right. The presidential campaign of Ron DeSantis, who is governor of Florida, is predicated on the idea that Florida is great and that he will make America like Florida. There are all sorts of articles and discussions about this. Chauncey DeVega wrote a piece, our friend Chauncey uh, in Salon called Ron DeSantis wants to, quote, make America Florida. That's a dire threat. The Trump DeSantis race is a boon for the mainstream media. For the rest of us, it's an unmitigated disaster. And indeed, it is true. If the United States became like Florida, it would be a disaster. Now, oh, oh my goodness. Hold on. Wait, hold on. But David, you go to Florida all the time. How can you go and say it would be bad for the entire country to be like Florida? Florida so bad. Why are you going to Florida? I, I go to Florida, right? with uh, <laughs> the income I earn from my New York business and with the security of my New York health insurance, knowing that I and my family have our New York doctors and New York infrastructure and access to New York airports. I go to Florida to go to the beach for a week. OK, this is not an endorsement of making the country like Florida. There are places in South Carolina, I've been to that are nice, but that doesn't mean South Carolina needs to be the model for the United States. And when you look at Florida, you see, OK, it's 25th out of 50 on health care in terms of quality access and cost. It's not a disaster, but it's not a model to be followed when you look at health care in New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, etc. Florida is 20th in infrastructure. All right. It's, it's not nearly the worst, but why would we say that's the infrastructure model we want to follow? Florida is 33rd in opportunity, 26th on crime. These aren't great numbers. They're very mediocre numbers. They're not great and they're not terrible, but it doesn't make us say the whole country should be doing what Florida is doing. Florida also has something that artificially makes it better in the rankings than it otherwise would be, which is it has the benefit of money earned in other states, blue states, people from California and from Washington and from Illinois and from New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, who say, hey, I'm going to go to Florida for the weather or I'm going to retire in Florida. And so Florida is the beneficiary of productivity and income and money that comes from other states. If every state were like Florida, all of a sudden you lose that benefit. You look at covid. DeSantis was quite reckless when it comes to the covid pandemic, and he didn't institute any meaningful public health measures. He in many cases flouted them. And as a result, Florida's covid death rate, we're talking per capita now, is the 10th highest in the country. DeSantis has been a staunch opponent of environmental protection and climate action and renewable energy. If you spread that to all 50 states, 
it's a disaster. So the bottom line is that if DeSantis was able to do to the country what has happened in Florida, it would be very bad for the environment and it would be very bad for our move towards renewable energy. DeSantis has been a fierce advocate of voter suppression and gerrymandering. Many states have made great strides in those areas. If DeSantis had his way, all of that gets reversed. He signed bills that restrict voting rights, limiting mail in ballots, drop boxes, early voting hours. He would try to do that in every state. Uh, a vocal opponent of civil rights, human rights and women's rights. He signed bills that ban trans athletes from participating in school sports, limiting abortion access, preventing local governments from passing anti-discrimination ordinances. This is all an unmitigated disaster. So Florida can have nice beaches and restaurants and primarily the liberal areas of Florida, if we're totally honest, although Pensacola is cool. OK, I, I will admit that the state can still be something that we would want to avoid the entire country becoming. And that is the only promise that DeSantis is making. It's where woke goes to die and whatever else. By the way, speaking of woke, we're going to talk about what's going on with Chick-fil-A, which relates to Florida in some significant ways. That'll be a little bit later on in the show. If you believe that making the country like Florida would be a good thing, please contact me info at davidpackman.com with the data. Skip the rhetoric, skip the insults, skip the ad hominems, skip the. But David, you went to the beach in Miami. Give me the data that tells us why making the country like Florida would be a good thing. Make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel, of course, at youtube.com slash the David Pakman show back right after this short break. If you deal with anxiety or depression, you may have tried meditation, exercise, diet changes, therapy, all of which are important things to try. There is also a new treatment that we've been talking about on the program for years, which for many people has been a game changer, and that is ketamine therapy. The research around ketamine therapy for anxiety and depression looks very promising, which is why I'm thrilled about our new sponsor, Mindbloom. Mindbloom is the leader in at home ketamine therapy, having safely helped thousands of people with anxiety and depression. It's delivered to your door. It's done from the comfort of your home. And unlike traditional talk therapy, ketamine works quickly and doesn't have the unpleasant side effects of traditional antidepressants. In a study of over twelve hundred mind bloom clients, eighty nine percent reported improvements in their anxiety and depression after just two sessions. Read about the evidence for ketamine therapy. We've talked about it on the show. It's pretty remarkable stuff. Mindbloom is offering my audience a hundred dollars off your first six session program. Go to mindbloom.com slash Pacman. Use the code Pacman. That's M I N D B L O O M dot com slash Pacman. Use code Pacman for one hundred dollars off. The info is in the podcast notes. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you to make smarter decisions with your money. 
The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like managing finances with a partner without conflict, making a balanced budget, boosting your credit score, saving more money for retirement, all sorts of really useful topics. Most people in the audience know I'm a big financial literacy advocate. I can tell you nerd wallet does a fantastic job here. Listen to nerd Wallet's smart money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. One of our sponsors today is Bon Charge. I have always enjoyed dry saunas. You get in there, your heart rate is up, dilates the blood vessels, can soothe achy joints and muscles. It's relaxing. It's just a great way to remove a little stress. Bon Charge is the creator of the infrared sauna blanket, which you can enjoy from home. Super easy to set up heats up fast. You don't have to have your head inside like at a traditional sauna at the gym. Nice for meditating or reading, getting work done, relaxing. I have found it to be a great way to unwind at the end of a long day. Easy to clean, sleek, lightweight design, easy to store and comes with a 12 month warranty. And of course, if you don't love it, returns are super easy. But I think you will love it. And you'll get 15% off when you go to bondcharge.com slash Pacman and use the code Pacman. That's B O N C H A R G E dot com slash Pacman. Use code Pacman for 15% off. The link is in the podcast notes. The David Pacman Show is a program that is very different than, for example, The Daily Wire. This came up in our discussion uh, yesterday about the comments made by. Cuban American streamer Stephen Kenneth Destiny Benel II. The Daily Wire has all these major millionaire, potentially billionaire donors, but I want to be conservative, certainly millionaire donors who just say, hey, take money, do what you can, grow as fast as you can. We don't have that. We actually depend on people like you who say, hey, I'm going to get a membership for six bucks a month, or I'll pay for the entire year and that'll drop it to the equivalent of five bucks a month, or I'll use a coupon code like 24 starts now and then it'll only be three bucks a month. So I do want to encourage you if you value what we're doing and if you understand the ways in which the right is so much better positioned in terms of the media ecosystem than the left, consider getting a membership at joinpacman.com. You'll also get the benefit of access to the bonus show. Yesterday, producer Pat told the story of uh, blacking out from heat stroke on Sunday at a half marathon, waking up in an ice bath and ultimately being brought by ambulance to the hospital. An insane story. And dozens of you, dozens and dozens of people commenting with similar experiences, shockingly. And anyway, go, a sad event that is quickly going down is one of the most popular bonus shows in history, sadly, because it was a horrible thing that happened to Pat. Uh, the bonus show is available every day to our members. You can sign up at joinpacman.com. All right, listen, I don't believe that at this time Ron DeSantis has a path to the Republican nomination until something changes, unless something changes. But the numbers can't be denied. This is not a show where I would ever try to deny the numbers. Thank your lucky stars every day. You're not Dave Pacman. Well, listen, but I'm not going to deny the numbers, Alex, please. Since news of Ron DeSantis's presidential announcement broke, DeSantis's polling is up 15 percent, while Donald Trump's polling is down 5 percent. Now, I hate that I have to do this, but I need to just do my disclaimer. 
about the difference between percent and percentage points. If you go from 10 to 15 percent, you start at 10 percent, you go to 15 percent. That's an increase of five points, but it is an increase of 50 percent. OK, you've gained five and you started at 10. That is a 50 percent increase, but a five point increase. Understanding this mathematical nuance and looking at average polling, we see that Donald Trump peaked at 56.3 and is now down since DeSantis's announcement to 53.2. That's a decline of close to 6%. We'll call it 5%. Similarly, DeSantis bottomed at 19.4 just before his announcement and has now climbed to 22.4. That's an increase of a little more than 15%. Now, is this an inflection point which in 3 months we will look at and Trump will be down to 30 and DeSantis will be up to 50? Maybe. Or is this a short burst for DeSantis and a short decline for Trump because DeSantis has been getting way more media attention lately than Trump has? We just don't know yet. If we want to ask a question that might inform us about polling. It's it's May 31st, but we'll call it the beginning of June. What we might ask is historically, how accurate are primary polls on June 1st of the year before the election? So, for example, like in 2016, what was the polling like June 1st of 2015? We actually have that data. Let's put it up on the screen. If we look at 2016, uh, in June of 2015, Jeb Bush was leading. By January of 2016, Trump had taken the lead and Trump ultimately won. So in 2016, the leader on June 1st was not indicative of the eventual winner. In 2012, Mitt Romney was leading June of 2011. Newt Gingrich was leading by January 1st, but Mitt Romney ended up being the nominee. So in 2012, the June 1st polling was indicative of the eventual winner, but it changed. If we look at the Democratic primaries, uh, the Democratic primary of 2008, you see that while Hillary was leading in June of 2007 and in January of 2008, of course, ultimately it was Barack Obama who won that nomination. Obama. And also similarly in 2008 uh, in the Republican primary, uh, June of the year before Rudy Giuliani was winning. By June 1st, Mike Huckabee had taken the lead, but John McCain ultimately won that primary. And we'll look at a couple others in 2004, June of 2003. It was Joe Lieberman, uh, January of 2004. Howard Dean had taken the lead. Of course, the Dean's scream. We're going to Iowa. Rrr, ultimately tanked his campaign. John Kerry, the eventual winner of that primary. And then lastly, in the year 2000, it was Al Gore in June, Al Gore in January and Al Gore as the eventual winner. So the answer is. Often the leader in June of the year before does not end up being the nominee. That being said, usually the leader in the year before is not a former president, which Donald Trump happens to be. So we are going to follow it. But in the last 10 days or so, a significant gain for DeSantis of about 15 percent.
Last Ron DeSantis discussion for today, uh, and then we're going to move on to some other things. A completely and totally deranged Ron DeSantis appeared on Fox and Friends and said that if he is elected president, he will destroy leftism, destroy leftism. I think he might actually believe this, which is the scariest part. That's right now the time for Ron DeSantis to run for president. Because the, everyone knows if I'm the nominee, I will beat Biden uh, and I will serve two terms and I will be able to uh, destroy leftism in this country and leave woke ideology on the dustbin of history. <laughs> OK, <laughs> so that's luck. If I'm president, we will end chicken and waffles. It's just it, either you want savory or you want sweet. But we're not going to allow these leftists from New York City to come in and tell us that you're going to put maple syrup on fried chicken. It's just not going to happen. And it will be left for the dustbin of history. This is extraordinarily dangerous, what he is saying. And there are about a dozen different concerns with it. And um, I'm going to tell you about some of them. Now, first of all, yesterday I played a clip for you of Ron DeSantis saying he'd consider pardoning Donald Trump. And meanwhile, he's saying that he's going to destroy leftism from a purely tactical standpoint. I don't see how you win a Republican primary. You're losing to Trump by 30 by saying you'll pardon Trump and only talking about Joe Biden. Now, I know that we, we've talked about this before. We talked about it at the top of the show and I know there is disagreement in my audience about the strategy of DeSantis running against Biden. And the idea is by the most positive spin we can put on DeSantis only talking about mostly talking about Joe Biden right now is that people who see him will see him as the nominee and will envision and imagine what it would be like for him to run against Joe Biden rather than seeing him getting chippy with Donald Trump. They see him as the challenger to Biden and they might say, oh, I can see this working better than what it was like in 2020 when Trump ran against Joe Biden. So the idea is to plant the vision in the minds of voters of, hey, this guy could be the nominee. This is what it would be like. However, however, I don't see how just saying stuff like I will destroy leftism and Biden is bad is going to get Trump supporters to say, maybe I will go for DeSantis. And I also don't know how it's going to bring in new voters into the Republican primary. So as a strategy, I don't really get it. Second, it's really important to remember with all of this anti woke stuff, most people are on the woke side, not the anti woke side. The leftism that DeSantis says he will destroy is increasingly what Americans believe. We have numerous polls at this point. These are not outlier polls in any way which not by a huge margin, but like 55 to 45, 57 to 43, 60 to 40. When you ask Americans their views on what we might consider issues of wokeness, right? Views on inclusivity, views on trans people, views on drag shows and book banning and race relations and these sorts of things, people, the country is coming out on the side of wokeness. And so DeSantis, maybe this would work in Florida. I mean, it, in a sense, it did because he won by 19, I believe it was in his reelection campaign to governor. The math isn't there for it working nationally. He says he's going to destroy the movement that is the foremost movement defending human rights right now. The Republican Party is not the party of defending human rights, economic justice. 
LGBT rights, uh, defending the climate, teaching kids critical thinking. I could go on and on. That's the movement DeSantis says he wants to destroy. So forget about I don't know that this will win him the primary. I don't think that this will win him a general election either. And then we get to the third aspect of this, and this is really the saddest one and one that is more in line with a lot of the things we've talked about on this program. This is a totally anti intellectual argument. And I know that the, the Republican Party has become the anti and pseudo intellectual party. It's been this way for decades. Instead of engaging with specific ideas and trying to refute the evidence put forth by the left, the left of which I consider myself a part, DeSantis is either interested or you might even say obsessed with just dismissing the entire left outright. And the dismissive attitude is also towards intellectual discourse. It's towards higher education. It's towards learning and thinking and epistemology and media literacy and critical thinking and all of those things. And we can say, oh, it's because he's pandering to dumb Republicans. OK, yeah, there are Republicans that are dumb. But the danger in it is that it undermines the democratic process because it gets people thinking about elections or better said, not really thinking about them in ways that allow the democratic process to be corroded, which we saw on January 6th and which we've seen other attempts made trying to overturn the election, et cetera. And then lastly, he's going to need. I mean, listen, I don't know that I would say DeSantis needs progressive support to win, but he certainly needs moderate support probably some some center left people who might say, I don't really like Biden. And while DeSantis is to my right, I'm going to vote for him because he's extending an olive branch and reaching out to me. When you say I will destroy leftism, you blatantly ignore and debase your progressive constituents. And DeSantis in that way is going to shut himself off from even maybe getting a little bit of that voter base. He's limiting his voter base to the most extreme elements of the Republican Party and I guess like right leaning independents, maybe, but the open minded independents to the extent that they exist, left leaning independents, centrist Democrats, some of whom DeSantis might be able to pick up if he had a more conciliatory tone. He's going to lose all of them with I, with I will destroy leftism. So right now, DeSantis's approach doesn't seem like a viable approach to defeating Donald Trump to even secure this nomination. And it certainly doesn't seem like a viable approach to defeating Joe Biden in the next couple of days and maybe even by tomorrow, but in time for tomorrow's show, we will have post announcement polling in a hypothetical matchup against Biden. I'm curious to see what that will look like. Make sure you're following us on TikTok, where we are approaching. This is an unbelievable number. We are approaching half a million TikTok followers. We have not grown this quickly on any platform ever. Make sure you're following us on TikTok and make sure you're subscribed on the YouTube channel as well. One of our sponsors today is Happy Hippo offering super quality lab tested Kratom, letting you try their products completely free. Kratom, also known as Mitragena speciosa, is an herbal leaf from Southeast Asia known for its soothing and uplifting properties. We've talked about it on the show before. Some people compare it to coffee, others to CBD, but with a much more pronounced effect. You can take it with water, use it to make tea, 
the quality of Kratom that you buy online or at stores can really vary. And if you use Kratom, Happy Hippo is where you want to go. With over 10 years of experience in the business, Happy Hippo only offers top shelf alkaloid rich Kratom products. No grainy, cheap stuff. All the batches are consistent and lab tested for purity. If you ever run into a batch you don't like, they'll replace it. No questions asked. Happy Hippo offers same day shipping. They often ship within just 20 minutes of you ordering. And Happy Hippo has the happiest customer service you'll find anywhere. You can try Happy Hippo products totally free. They'll even ship to you for free. Go to happyhippo.com slash Pacman. Click the pink button at the bottom of the page that says free Kratom. You can also get 20 percent off all of their products with code Pacman. That's happyhippo.com slash Pacman. Click the free Kratom button to receive some product completely free with free shipping. After that, use the code Pacman for 20 percent off. The info is in the podcast notes. Donald Trump announced yesterday in a sick and disgusting video that on day one of his next presidency, if he is to get one, he will violate the Constitution of the United States. Trump loves the Constitution, just like he loves American flags and law and order and all of these different things. Trump loves the Constitution and many of his followers see it almost like a sacred religious document. And yet Trump says on day one of his presidency, if he is inaugurated in January of 2025, he will sign an executive order ending birthright citizenship as guaranteed by the 14th Amendment to the Constitution of the United States. Here is Donald Trump looking admittedly a little confused, not clear he knows where he is or what he's saying. Uh, take a listen to what he says. Plan to secure the border on day one of my new term in office. I will sign an executive order making clear to federal agencies that under the correct interpretation of the law going forward, the future children of illegal aliens will not receive automatic U.S. citizenship. Yeah. Now, he says there, according to some interpretations of the law, if you can find me serious legal experts who believe that birthright citizenship could be denied as written in the 14th Amendment, please send me that because all of the research I did this morning matches up with my uh, uh, prior discussions with legal experts on the matter, which is it is very clearly part of the 14th Amendment. Now, I want to focus in on one particular aspect of this. The right wingers cheerleading this idea and birthright citizenship and anchor babies, as they love to call them, those right wingers should be very careful about the unintended consequences that Trump trying to do this could have. First of all, it does appear it would violate the Constitution and the Supreme Court precedent, which established that there is a fundamental right to citizenship if born in the United States. Right wingers claim to worship that document as a religious text. And indeed, it appears as though this is a fundamental right. If they were to attempt this, it would be potentially years and years and years of legal conundra, we might call it. And in the immediate it would much more quickly increase the undocumented population in the United States, which they claim to want to reduce. This is a really important thing. If Trump ends birthright citizenship going forward, then you are going to have a situation 
where babies will be born here, will immediately be undocumented, presumably subject to deportation, and it will so instantly clog up and gum up immigration processes that because you will all of a sudden see authorities tied up with looking at deporting newborn babies, you actually might. You know, they say that we really care about criminal aliens, the people committing crimes, et cetera, to the extent that they exist and they do to a degree, but just not to the, the degree that Donald Trump says you are going to get in the way of actually locating and deporting those individuals who are only not only undocumented, but have com committed uh, crimes because you are going to be focusing on trying to deport newborn babies. They are going to make the problem they want to fix worse. Secondly, it will impact the American economy. It will reduce the labor force. It will reduce the tax base. It will reduce consumer demand by just getting rid of people and their families, even if they're babies and they're not spending their own money. Uh, you are going to push them as well as potentially parents uh, out of the United States. You will reduce the tax base, reduce the labor force and reduce consumer demand. That's not good for the economy. Years of legal challenges will also come with them, uh, will bring with them huge financial costs. These claim to be fiscal conservatives, but of course it will be extraordinarily expensive and it will destroy international image of the United States. Now, that's not anything new. You might remember that Gallup global surveys about global opinion about the, the United States bottomed out when Trump was president, has fortunately started to recover since Joe Biden became president. But again, the United States, for all of our faults, the United States has been seen generally, not every part of the United States, but generally the United States has been seen as a nation that embraces immigrants, offers opportunity to those born within its borders. And if you end birthright citizenship, particularly in this vindictive way, you're going to tarnish that image and then that will make it more difficult to continue uh, having the exact same relationships diplomatically with our long term allies. There will be other countries affected by the policy change on and on and on. And there are question marks as to what such a decision by Trump would do to national security efforts. And what I mean by that is that birthright citizenship has implications for national security because it says, OK, if you're born here, you have a vested interest in the country, you get citizenship that creates a tie. If you end birthright citizenship for people born here, you can create all sorts of different security issues, legal gray areas, raise questions about rights and obligations of individuals within the country. It's extraordinarily problematic in a number of different ways. Now, do we believe Trump will actually do this on day one of his presidency? I don't know. I mean, I, I genuinely don't know. Trump says a lot of things. He told us in August of 2020 that we were two weeks away from receiving his new health care plan. I'm still waiting for it. I'm really curious what would be in there. Maybe he meant August of 2024. I don't know at this point in time, but will Trump actually do it unclear? Would this be a good idea? No. Would it even be constitutional? Probably not. Donald Trump has now turned on his darling former press secretary, Kaylee McEnany, in a bonkers truth social rant. Truth central. Donald Trump trothing to essential quote, Kaylee Milktoast McEnany. Now, what? Oh, God, I'm going to get back to this 
He writes milk toast like you would make a piece of toast with milk, like Japanese milk bread. OK, um, this is not the word. This is not the spelling of milk toast, but we'll get back to that. Kaylee Milk Toast McEnany just gave out the wrong poll numbers on Fox News. I am up 30. I am 34 points up on DeSanctimonious, not 25 up. While 25 is great, it's not 34. She knew the number was corrected upwards by the group that did the poll. The rhinos and globalists can have her. Fox News should only use real stars. So let's look at this in pieces. First of all, the word is milk toast, M I L Q U E. It has a couple of definitions timid, meek, or unassertive, lacking in character or vigor. Um, milk toast, <laughs> like we would talk about bread, is something different altogether. Although it is delicious, I will admit that Japanese milk bread, if you toast it, it is really something else. So let's talk about the strategy. The strategy, to the extent that there is one, is Trump turning on everyone for any reason at all if they don't do the metaphorical bow down and pray at the altar of Trump. In this particular case, Kayleigh McEnany just gave polling numbers that Trump feels are different or inaccurate or were revised in some way. It doesn't seem like this is a good strategy for two different reasons. Number one, if you are going to immediately viciously turn on anyone, not even for criticizing you, but just for reporting polling data that may be disfavorable in some way to you or not as favorable as you want it to be, uh, you are going to very quickly run out of allies because you're going to end up turning on a lot of different people. And secondly, it runs the risk of alienating other former staffers, even if Trump if you're a Trump uh, former Trump staffer and I don't know, maybe you'd be involved in his 2024 campaign. Maybe you wouldn't. If you see Trump turning on other former staffers for essentially nothing, are you going to be ready and willing to defend Trump, to work for Trump, to help Trump in any way? It seems like the answer is no. Now, this is just this is a very funny thing. Um, Kaylee McEnany was hosting something on Fox News. I guess maybe she has a show now on Fox News. I don't even remember. And Congressman Chip Roy uses the word milk toast as a reference to the fact that uh, Trump called her milk toast. This this is actually a little bit funny. You know, starting with you, Congressman Chip Roy, what is the realistic alternative to this? Because I understand we wouldn't formally default. We can pay the interest on our debt, but our debt could be downgraded and that could be catastrophic. So what is the realistic alternative to this deal? Well, thanks, Kaylee. Uh, first of all, you know, the, everything that we're seeing out of the bill that was put forward, this this deal this hatched this weekend is pretty milk toast, if uh, if that word might mean something to you. But uh, frankly, uh, the real problem we. All right. So very, very clever there, Chip Roy. Um, the more Trump turns on former staffers, the more likely it is that his 2024 campaign will be made up of even more incompetent staffers, which actually sounds very fun to me, even if it's not going to be a particularly good strategy for winning in 2024. So Kaylee McEnany, the latest Trump staffer, former staffer to see Trump turn on them. And remember, Trump's idea of loyalty is you never criticize Trump. OK. You never question Trump's judgment. Mm, all right. 
You always praise Trump anytime his name comes up. It's getting a little difficult. You don't even report polling data that Trump doesn't like. That's a tough standard for loyalty. That is a genuinely tough standard for loyalty. It's going to be tough to keep that one up, particularly if DeSantis's rise in the polls over the last 10 days is not a blip and it is a new change of direction. But we will follow it after the break. Joe Biden's sexual assault accuser, Tara Reid, has defected to Russia. Do you know anything about Russia? They asked me and I said, I don't know anything about it. Well, that's where uh, Joe Biden's sexual assault accuser has uh, defected to. We're going to talk a lot more about believe all women in the context of this defection. Stay tuned. Did you know that half of Americans are deficient in vitamins A and C as well as magnesium? If you keep your diet nutritionally balanced all the time, you can get everything you need. But half of Americans don't. And it can really impact how you feel. Our sponsor, Athletic Greens, makes it super easy. I mix one scoop of AG one from Athletic Greens into water. It tastes great. I get all of the high quality vitamins and minerals I need from whole food sourced ingredients. I don't have to fumble around with bottles, capsules, individual vitamins and things like that. I just don't have the time. You should see what's going on at my house. AG one simplifies everything. I'm covering my nutritional bases for the entire day. Super easy, easy to stick to as well and dramatically more cost effective than getting all of these different vitamin supplements. Go to athleticgreens.com slash Pacman for a free year supply of vitamin D. I've talked about vitamin D many times, plus five free AG one travel packs. That's athleticgreens.com slash Pacman for a year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs. The link is in the podcast notes. All right. So Tara Reid, who accused Joe Biden of sexual assault, claiming the incident took place in 1993, tried to derail his 2020 presidential campaign. She has defected to Russia. What the hell is going on here? The Guardian reporting former Senate staffer who made claim in 2020 appears on Russian media alongside convicted Russian agent in the United States, Maria Butina. I'm still kind of in a daze, but I feel very good. Reid told Sputnik, the Russian press outlet that supports Putin, while sitting with Maria Butina, a convicted Russian agent jailed in the US, but now a member of parliament in Russia. I feel very surrounded by protection and safety. Now 59, Reid was a staffer for Biden when he was a senator from Delaware. In 2020, she said that back in 93 in a Senate hallway, he pushed her against the wall and assaulted her. Biden denied it at her press appearance. Reid was described as a writer and publicist, former aide to Joe Biden. Uh, Butina uh, sitting next to Butina, Reid said, I just really so appreciate Maria and everyone who's been giving me protection at a time when it's been very difficult to know if I'm safe or not. I just didn't want to walk home and walk into a cage or be killed, which is basically my two choices. So she has indeed defected to Russia. She says it was difficult. She's not impulsive. She takes her time. And what she could see was that uh, I guess with the 24 election gearing up, she's better off in Russia being safe. She wants to live in both places, but she may only live in Russia. And that's okay. So I want to talk about this for a very specific reason. 
Some on the right, back when Tara Reid made these allegations against Joe Biden, some on the right called the left out as hypocrites. And what those on the right said to those on the left was, listen, on the one hand, you leftists say we should believe all women. And then Tara Reid comes forward and says, Biden assaulted me and you don't believe Tara Reid. And so it's important to understand that believe all women in principle doesn't mean you blindly indefinitely believe every single allegation. And this has always been the case. This was what I said when Justice Kavanaugh was accused. This was what I've always said. The right wing wants to use Tara Reid's allegations to say that Democrats and leftists actually have a double standard on me too, and that it's actually just a political tool. Me too. believe all women if the accused is a Republican. But if it's Joe Biden, suddenly you don't believe all women. And this couldn't be further from reality. Believe all women has always meant if an alleged victim comes forward, you take that seriously. You understand that any time a victim comes forward to say I was victimized, there is risk to them and that they could be uh, uh, pushed one way or the other, stigmatized, all these different things. And regardless of political affiliation, you investigate. That doesn't mean that every allegation is automatically true or that the allegations are free from scrutiny. It means every accuser should be heard and respected and held accountable for the truth and consistency of their claims. Tara Reid's claims were not consistent and they did not appear to be true after significant investigation. Believe all women isn't a slogan that says you must have unending blind faith, period. It is a call to deal with systemic sexism and misogyny the sort of stigma and circumstances that historically have silenced and dismissed women who have experienced sexual violence. It means we want justice. We want accountability for the perpetrators of such crimes, including those who have often escaped punishment because they were in positions of power or privilege. We recognize women are more likely to be victims than they are liars when it comes to sexual assault. False claims of sexual assault and rape are quite rare. And when they happen, they should be dealt with seriously. None of this is new. Go back two years, go back five years, go back 10 years. This is what I have been saying. And when you looked at the Tara Reid situation, she made an allegation. And as far as I recall, certainly we took it very seriously. Okay, Joe Biden denied it. Fine. Many times perpetrators deny things. Joe Biden also has a long record of supporting women's rights and combating sexual violence in contrast to Trump with his dozens of accusations against him who doesn't have that record. Joe Biden said, I will cooperate with any investigation. I will release all relevant records related to Tara Reid. Donald Trump did not do that, and the contrast couldn't be more glaring. So what we need to understand is that these right wingers are desperate to call the Tara Reid story a story of hypocrisy, because on some level they must realize that when we say believe all women, we're not saying unquestionably accept all allegations with no scrutiny. It's a reminder 
that we take allegations seriously. We support the survivors. We conduct thorough investigations. We ascertain the truth. And I can't think of any case that better encapsulates that than the Tara Reid situation. And now that she has been praising Putin and has defected to Russia, in my mind, it only raises even more doubts about her motivations and her agenda and her allegiances. So there it is, sort of like the cherry on top. Tara Reid has now defected to Russia. This is so funny how the tables have turned. Remember when Chick-fil-A, the uh, chicken fast food restaurant, was the darling of the right wing because it took a, an anti-gay stance and donations to uh, anti-LGBT organizations and conservatives were flocking to the drive throughs and standing in line outside Chick-fil-A because Chick-fil-A supports traditional marriage and so-called Christian values. And the left was boycotting Chick-fil-A because of bigotry and discrimination. Times have changed, and I guess Chick-fil-A has also changed. Chick-fil-A has now come under fire from its former right wing fans because Chick-fil-A now has a statement on its website about DEI, as they like to call it. DEI stands for diversity, equity and inclusion. And right wingers are now saying Chick-fil-A has succumbed to the woke agenda. There's a piece in Newsweek. Chick-fil-A faces a conservative revolt for its DEI initiative. Um, the company website now said this is like speaking of milk toast. This is milk toast. One of our core values at Chick-fil-A is we're better together. When we combine our unique backgrounds and experiences with a culture of belonging, we can discover new ways to strengthen the quality of care we deliver to customers, to the communities we serve and to the world. We understand that getting better at together means we learn better, care better, grow better and serve better. Um, OK, so listen, there's a couple different things here. The irony is as delicious as a spicy chicken sandwich with extra pickles and grilled jalapenos. The same people who accused liberals of being intolerant, cancel culture supporting lunatics are now themselves calling for a boycott of Chick-fil-A because Chick-fil-A is now being inclusive and respectful. The same people who previously defended Chick-fil-A's right to express its religious beliefs, which happen to be Christian, those people are now outraged that Chick-fil-A is trying to live up to its mission of glorifying God by being a good steward by having this DEI inclusivity statement. And it seems to me that some of these conservatives must think that to be faithful to God, you shouldn't be inclusive and want equity and want diversity. Seems to me that that is quite godly, isn't it? They think, oh, Chick-fil-A wants to have a positive influence. I guess that means we need to boycott them. Now, Chick-fil-A is not perfect. I have not done a U-turn on Chick-fil-A. I've still never been to a Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is a big corporation that is calculating what is best for them right now. They have done some to try to repair the damage they did in terms of their relationship with the LGBT community based on what happened a couple of years ago. They have a DEI statement. Let's see if they prove that it's not just lip service. Let's see if they actually are committed to some kind of change as a result of this. But 
it is also not the enemy of the right wing. This is a business adapting to changing times, trying to meet the needs and expectations of its customers, its employees and its would be customers. I uh, was thinking of trying Chick-fil-A this weekend with all of this hubbub. I've never been. I'm going to be out on Long Island for a conference this weekend, and I thought there's a bunch of Chick-fil-A's there. But then I looked at the menu. It's pretty nuts. Like, I don't want to, you know, I, I'm all for uh, I'll, I'll try all sorts of different things. But I looked at the, the, the menu um, and, you know, the rib meat with water injected into it and formed into a patty and then breaded and deep fried. Like, I, I just don't know that I want that, you know, so it's, it's pretty bonkers stuff. But, eh, you know, maybe I'll show up and get like a grilled chicken and report back how it is. In the meantime, Marjorie Taylor Greene and her boyfriend on their latest podcast commented about Chick-fil-A and they wrongly claimed that the left was boycotting Chick-fil-A because Chick-fil-A would close on Sunday, which is, of course, very much not true. So I don't see the left having any buying power at all in the marketplace. I think that's a great analogy. Uh, you brought up Chick-fil-A. A lot of us have forgotten about Chick-fil-A being being boycotted um, and targeted so heavily like they did on the left. Uh, people were mad at them simply because they they closed their doors on Sundays uh, because the owners of Chick-fil-A are Christians and they believe in taking a, a day of rest uh, like the Bible <laughs> talks about. Like God says, you should rest one day a week. And that's what the owners of Chick-fil-A decided. That's the way they're going to run their company. And they don't apologize for it. And the left targeted them because they're Christians. And, the, yeah. and their stance on marriage. Ah, there. <laughs> so even Marjorie Taylor Greene's boyfriend having to say, well, it did have some their stance on marriage. It did also actually have to do with their support of anti LGBT causes. It wasn't just being closed on Sunday. Many businesses are closed on Sunday. Uh, many Jewish delis are closed during Shabbat. It, it, that's the, being closed on certain days for religious observance is very different than, than donating to anti gay causes. So maybe I'll go to Chick-fil-A this weekend. I guess I'll go grilled rather than fried that that uh, the rib meat with the water injected into it. I'm just not big on that. I have to admit, it's just it doesn't sound great to me, but I will report back if I end up at a Chick-fil-A. We have a voicemail number. That number is two one nine two David P. Here is a caller so deranged and incoherent. I don't know if they're under the influence of, or, of drugs or alcohol in this phone call. Um, it is it is Troy York under a fake name, and he seems furious that I think. Well, let me just play it. It's about my. I don't even know what he thinks. It's something related to what I said about tipping. Hey, David Pakman, David Berkson. Yeah. Hey, you're a hypocrite, um, Pakman. You made a video about not wanting to tip when you go out to a restaurant. And well, remember, it's not about not wanting to tip. I tip well everywhere I go. It's about I don't like tipping culture and I would like to restructure it so that tips aren't expected and people are paid a living wage. Apparently, it sounds like you go out to eat a lot, like at the best fine dining restaurants. I, well, you know, if I want to go out to eat, I'll go out to eat, Troy. It has no, it's none of your business. Oh, no. Are you a, a trust fund kid or a hedge fund kid? I am neither. I, I am a self-made man. And uh, <laughs> but the question is, uh, Mr. Packant, um, well, the point I want to bring up is you're always doing anti-Trump um, videos. 
And then you do a video on the service industry and the restaurants <clears throat> and how workers should not rely on tips. They should have wages. Yeah. Living wages, I, I believe you say. And, um, well, that's what Trump was trying to do. He was trying to bring back good jobs that the Democrats sent overseas to China. I yeah. So listen. Trump didn't have any idea how to do that. Many of those jobs simply no longer exist, and it has nothing to do with tipping culture. I'm afraid to break it to you. At one time, you didn't have so many of these restaurants in this country. There are way too many restaurants, and most of them are foreign-owned globalists who 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 oh, play boy. money grand games. They they shuffle to money laundering, and most of these restaurants should not exist, but only exist because of globalization. All right. This is very crazy. I guess Troy, what I guess he only has so-called American food. I don't know. It's a very, very strange message. But listen, I uh, for for as long as restaurant workers depend on tips, I'm going to tip. My point is I would like a different structure where we have prices. The prices include all fees and then the employees are paid a living wage. That's what I would like to see. We're going to talk about deep fake technology on the bonus show today and the role that it might play in the 2024 election. We are also going to talk about Air New Zealand, the airline starting to weigh passengers before they board international flights and the impact that this is having and North Korea's attempt to launch its first spy satellite has ended in failure and it is pretty humiliating. All of those stories and more on today's bonus show. Oh, the bonus show where you want to make money. But everybody else that makes money to fund themselves is bad. I can't say it much better than that. Thank you, Alex. So I will leave it with you as please sign up at joinpacman.com. Get access to the bonus show. Otherwise, we'll be back tomorrow with a new show. See you then.